You're listening to the really useful podcast from makeusoft.com. It's the tech podcast for technophobes. I'm Christian Corlian. With me is Ian Buckley. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? Hi there. I'm good. It's nice to be back on the show. Yeah, it's, uh, it's my first time in my, uh, my my new studio space where I actually have space. It's fantastic. Excellent. It sounds uh, it sounds very uh, it it sounds like you're um, moving up in a world now with a studio space of your own. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a place I can actually set Arduinos on fire without getting in trouble with my partner. It's a very nice feeling. <laughs> uh, on this week's show, we will be looking at uh, ways that you can share Google search results, how you can report suspicious sites to Google's and uh, to Google's, uh, and uh, and YouTube's new remaster of old music videos. We'll also be looking at some tips for you, um, finding out about the ghost broken counter and scam, the unwritten rules of Facebook friend requests, and how you can get a job in tech without actually knowing about tech. Trust me, it's possible. Yeah. And, it's uh, we've, it is, yeah. And there's also some uh, quick new news that's just uh, cropped up today. There's a new Raspberry Pi has been released. Yeah. And uh, we'll also be um, having a, a quick look at the uh, Bitcoin rally, which has uh, commenced over the past few days. Um, first of all, you can now share Google search results. Which, um, this is one of those things that you think, why didn't they do this before, isn't it? It is a bit odd, considering that, like, one of the, something that presumably takes a lot more tech that I've been doing for a very long time is that uh, if I want to show someone where I am, you can just drop a pin in Google Maps and share it to them. Um, which presumably is a lot more difficult to do than simply just share the, the, the text string of whatever you were searching on Google. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's, it's a. I, I find it quite a nice little feature. It's it's not something that is groundbreaking. It's a, a little convenience that uh, if you are, you know, if if you've, ex I mean, exactly as it says, uh, there's an article about it on the Make Use of website. And exactly as it says on that, you're, you're in the past. What you'd have to do is either tell them to Google it themselves or use the rather sarcastic "Let me Google that for you" website. Um, and yeah, this does feel like a quite nice little way because search terms can be somewhat difficult. It can be hard to find what you want to find. Yeah, it can. And these are great little feature. So if you want to do this, uh, it's currently only available in the Google app for Android. So you open the Google app, do the search, and then click the share icon on the right-hand side of the share bar, and then choose how to share your results, as you normally would on a mobile device. Absolutely. And one uh, one interesting feature uh, about it, I mean, it, interesting, I suppose, as a point of view, some people might be mildly horrified by this, but depending on what uh, you, uh, data you have let Google have about you, when you send that link to someone else, the results they get may actually uh, be tailored slightly more towards what they have shared with Google in terms of data. So uh, it's, it's an interesting thing in that if you want to share a search term that worked for you, presumably it will still work. But if you have vastly different search habits, you might actually get some different results still. Um, yeah. Which is a quirk, I think. But uh, in the long run, if you are someone who is comfortable with sharing data in order to improve your search results, uh, you know, I, I don't think it would be anything that would worry you too much. No, absolutely not. Uh, so, yes, that's a nice new feature. And as Ian mentioned, that and everything else we discussed in this week's really useful podcast will be available in the show notes, um, which you should find uh, wherever it is you get this podcast from. Uh, if not, do let us know and we can uh, work in a way of uh, ensuring that they do appear. Okay, so um, another Google revelation. Google makes it easier to report suspicious sites. And again, th this was something that was already possible, but 
again, it's a surprise that it wasn't as easy as it now is. Yes, I think um, I, I think the 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 way that people view browsing the web in general has changed very quickly. In that, in the past, people would report suspicious sites, but I think the thinking was that those people would already be quite savvy in order to spot them and wouldn't mind jumping through a few hoops in order to report them. Um, but these days, I mean, we're accosted by different forms of, you know, suspicious like phishing attempts and scams uh, all the time. And it means that you don't necessarily have to be someone who uh, has studied it or knows a huge amount about the web in order to say, no, this is clearly dodgy. Or even if you have a suspicion that something might be dodgy, um, yeah, an easy way to report that is going to make the web safer for everybody. It's a nice idea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not convinced that the previous argument was in any way accurate. There's plenty of services where you could report a site. And I, I'm not sure... Yeah, it's great to have this feature. I just think yeah. it is something that should have been along a long, long time ago, rather than relying yeah. on, you know, as you say, tech-savvy people or um, security software to, to like, um, you know, the McAfee site advisor and stuff like that, to sort of, like, uh, monitor what people are clicking on and detecting bad sites and all that kind of thing. It, it just seems like a... a an oversight. A an oversight, yeah. I mean, better late than never, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is an odd thing. Again, it's it's much like we were saying about the other sharing search feature. It does seem like an odd thing with all of the many amazing things that you can actually do very easily uh, using the software Google produces. It does seem like every now and again, they might have had a mild blind spot. Yeah. OK, so uh, so that's that. And uh, there are um, there's a method of reporting the site. And I expect it will become even simpler as time progresses. And uh, you, and Google have the tools in the background to check whether or not it's a legitimate um, claim for a uh, malicious website. Absolutely, but as it stands right now, the way to get it is just in the form of a an extension. Um, and if you've ever yeah. used, um, you know, there, there are various uh, extensions. I know uh, ones that are used by a lot of people are ad blockers. Not that that's particularly good for people like us who uh, are tech writers. But if you are familiar with extensions and that's something that you've done, you'll install it exactly the same way on the uh, Google Chrome extension store. Uh, and there's actually, again, a link to the uh, extension in the article on the Make Use Of site that will be in the show notes. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to some uh, entertainment news. YouTube is remastering hundreds of classic music videos. Uh, they've partnered with Universal Music Group with a target of a thousand iconic music videos to be remastered, upgrading from SD standard definition to HD high definition, bringing them up to modern standards. Yeah, this is uh, cool. I, it is I'm, cool. I'm kind of excited about this, actually. I'm not going to lie. I know a lot of people like the idea of things being in the original way that they were, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, the uh, ex one of the examples that is shown is the sabotage video by the Beastie Boys, which, in just my opinion, is one of the better videos of all time. And seeing it in uh, seeing it in HD is amazing. I really yeah. like it. I think it's going to look better on videos that were filmed on, you know, sixteen or thirty-five millimeter rather than videotape. Yeah, probably that is that is probably so. I, that is something that I, I I don't actually have the knowledge about to properly comment, but I do wonder whether uh, you know what happens when you combine videotape and the old uh, standard definition compression. I do wonder if the, those two things together uh, made things look e like made things look 
worse, as it were, uh, and whether HD would show faults that you wouldn't have seen before or something like that. Um, but again, it comes mm. down to that thing, which is funnily enough something that we are both interested in, this idea of, uh, of modern tech and, and retro things. Obviously, we're both into retro gaming. Um, and uh, and yeah, but, but my my initial reaction to this was way more excited about it than I expected. <laughs> Mostly just because of that Beastie Boys video, I think, really. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing about the video of, as well, of course, is the, um, the um, US video has a fewer lines of data than European video, doesn't it? So yeah, there's going to yeah. be, you know, if they're going to update a European video, that's going to look, presumably, that will look a bit different. The BBC have been doing a lot of work in uh, remastering old Doctor Who. Uh, oh, right. yeah. There's, there's, there's basically in Doctor Who's original run. There's only two episodes that were recorded entirely on film. Mm. One was in 1970, and the other was 1996, which was mm. recorded in Canada. Um, yeah. And the, the 1970 episode has been released on Blu-ray, and as a 1996 episode, um, and they both look fantastic. Now, more recently, they've started packaging classic um, videotape, yeah, um, color episodes from the 1970s mm. they were recorded mostly on videotape but with you know um film inserts uh, mm. on blu-ray and obviously the film sections look great the video bits look good they've been tidied up a lot and there's you know better compression as you say so it's um it, do, it does look better but obviously it's not going to look as great as something that was recorded on on film mm, of course yeah, yeah, yeah properly polished up and cleaned up with all the, the modern tools but uh, yeah this is uh, interesting it's exciting youtube um has already published 100 remastered videos from Boys to Men, Janet Jackson, Lady Gaga, um, Meatloaf, The Killers, Tom Petty, and The Beastie Boys. And by the end of next year, 2020, which sounds like the future, but it's not. Well, Sorry, it is, but not that far <laughs> in the future. Um, YouTube expects all thousands, all 1,000 titles to be available. Yeah, it's nice. It's, I mean, like, you know, it, uh, in the grand scheme of things, 1,000 music videos, uh, it, I'm sure there's going to be something in there for everybody-ish. It's not like everything is suddenly going to start looking amazing. But it's a nice project, and uh, it's something that, um, yeah, it, it's it's something that I'll be interested to, to see. Just because the idea of taking something uh, that was, you know, on old tech and making something that was from that time work with today's tech is something that I'm interested in broadly, you know. Um, so it's yeah, it's a, it's a nice project. I'm, I'm, yeah, like I say, yeah. that Beastie Boys video, man, it got me <laughs> nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've just lost my window, so two takes. There we and go. No. All right, let's move on because um, as we record this on uh, Monday, the 24th of June, we've got big news for DIYers and retro game fans. There is a brand new Raspberry Pi released today. I've already got my order in. I haven't yet, but I'm. Uh, I, the only reason I haven't is just because I'm trying to work out whether I want to just get a baseline one or whether I want to really uh, splash out and get the, the 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 full four gig of RAM version. I went for the four gig because yeah, it seemed sensible. Um, so the, nice. this new Raspberry Pi, we're not going to dwell on it too long because we're probably going to be talking about this in our uh, retro gaming episode, which is uh, sure. going to be recording in a few weeks' time. Uh, there's a uh, Three versions, a $35 version with standard one gigabyte of RAM. There is a $45 version with two gigabytes and a $55 version with four gigabytes RAM. But there's a lot more new to it than that. There is a USB 2 ports. There's two of those. There's also two USB 3 ports. 
There's the same gigabit internet, the same onboard Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. There's now a USB Type-C power supply. There's a more powerful processor on a brand new chip. And there are two micro HDMI ports that support 4K displays. Yes, and that is going to be uh, that's going to be quite a big thing, I think, because I have fiddled around in the past with uh, you know dual displays on Raspberry Pis, and uh, it's something that I, it's you know it's 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 always been doable. There's been ways of doing it, but you've struggled because of performance, and you've struggled for various reasons. And having two native 4K outputs is a big thing. I do wonder how, even with the four gigabyte version, I do wonder how it's going to perform. But I guess that's something we'll find out when we get them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it strikes me I didn't order a new case, and I may need one. Dough. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, yeah, I'm looking forward to that coming. Uh, so, yeah, that's how now. And, you know, it's ridiculously affordable computer that does so many things, either as dedicated tasks or, you know, you can multi-use it. I've recently set up a Minecraft server to uh, play with my young children. Nice. Uh, well, oh, yeah, so I've got Ubuntu running on another that. one. Yeah, yeah, it's good. well, it's um, it's up, it's better now to do Minecraft on a Raspberry Pi, yep. as a Minecraft server on a Raspberry Pi, because uh, the earlier versions would only play, you'd have a choice of either playing the main version or playing Pocket Edition, but yeah, the, the current server software supports both. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that yeah. is really nice. Yeah, this. I mean, the 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 thing about this, which I think is going to be its real key, because I mean, you know, as as I've uh, written about and as we've talked about in the past, the Raspberry Pi isn't the only thing that's like this. There are many competitors to it, but the Pi has such a large community and already so many things like written for it that it's not only that this is a fantastic new machine. Uh, retroactively, uh, there's a huge amount of projects, whether it is retro gaming or a media center or doing something in the DIY realm or, or servers, as we talked about, that maybe struggled a bit with the power of the older Raspberry Pis. And as they keep coming out and getting more powerful, you'll probably find that any projects that you already have running, you can make run much faster. Um, and at the price they're selling it at, it's 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 fantastic. I'm really, I'm really happy that they are still uh, focusing on a kind of slightly lower price point. Um, because yeah, there's there are, there are very powerful single board computers out there. Um, uh, some I own, some I've just written about. Uh, but there's something about the Raspberry Pi that just is, uh, yeah, the community is huge. And even if you're not particularly tech savvy, some uh, dedicated Googling or searching, of course, on make use of will definitely help you work out what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great way into doing more technical things. And also, I mean, my introduction to Linux as, as like using Linux was really through the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, yeah. I think prob- realistically, me too. I'd, I'd fiddled with it before, but it wasn't until I had to to do DIY projects on the Pi, which was my in yeah. with the Pi. I, I did that before any retro gaming or, or media stuff. That uh, learning about Linux, I, I learned about the command line through Raspberry Pi for sure. Yeah, same here, same here. Okay, so that's that's um, that's happening. We'll be talking about that in more detail in a few weeks' time. Okay, let us move on to just one other brief note. Uh, you may have heard about Facebook Libra, which is a cryptocurrency that Facebook is releasing. It just so happens that they've announced that in the same period of time where Bitcoin has started rallying again, and you're going to see more news reports about Bitcoin. Uh, they've already started. Mm. And... For more information on that, we suggest, if that's something you want to learn more about, head over to our the Make Use of Sisters site, blocksdecoded.com, 
who also run a podcast um, with Gavin Phillips and uh, James Frew. Uh, are you on it as well, Ian? Um, I haven't been yet, but um, uh, I probably will be on the, uh, not the next or the next one, but the one after that. Um, okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm also a member of uh, the, uh, Blocks Decoded. Um, and yeah, this is, I mean, obviously go to Blocks Decoded to hear about it because they'll be talking about it in much more depth. But this is a, this is a surprising but a very good thing for anyone that is uh, interested in Bitcoin. Um, and it's interesting that it is timed, you know, just as LibraCoin is launched. Um, but yeah, uh, rather than spend time on it here, the guys at Blocks Decoded will uh, be able to talk about it in much more detail than we will. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, head on over there via the link in the show notes. Okay, uh, we're going to give you some tips and uh, tricks and productivity advice and security advice now. Hopefully, we'll fulfill all of those promises. Uh, <laughs> there is a online car insurance scam called Ghost Broking. Yes. It's a form. Uh, now, it's a form of yeah. Go on. Well, I was I was going to say. I mean, obviously, we'll, uh, we can we should talk broadly about what this is. But uh, just from a completely personal point of view, if uh, you're someone who will hear this and think, oh yeah, that doesn't sound like something that would happen to me. Uh, in I, before I knew the show notes for this week, I was talking with a friend of mine who lives in England who has literally in the last few weeks fallen foul of one of these scams mm. they are quite prevalent but before we go into that uh let's actually talk about what ghost broking is so uh do you uh, do you want to take that or should i uh, uh no you carry on you carry on steam on all right um so uh, there is a fantastic write-up of it on the make use of website which uh, again will be in the show notes but um there are uh, generally two ways that a ghost broking scam will work uh, a lot of these people will uh, not, they may have their own websites, but they'll operate through social media. And the general idea is they say, I am an insurance broker. I know the insurance sites. I know how to get you the best deal. So instead of getting it yourself, get it through me. And uh, then after that, one of two things may happen. One is that they will just fake the insurance documents that you get back. So you think you have insurance and you do not. And they just keep your money and disappear. Um, and of course, that still means that you would have broken the law if you got pulled over without insurance. Unfortunately, that still would mean that you would get in trouble with the police. Uh, and the other thing they do, which is uh, even more convincing, is they will actually legitimately set up an insurance, uh, uh, set, uh, set up insurance for you. Uh, but then they will cancel the insurance and keep the refund. Um, now, this isn't the only type of scam that works this way, but I think because so many people rely on transport and because social media is so far reaching, it's growing, uh, especially with younger people who maybe are getting their first vehicles and maybe don't have the budget and really want to save money. Um, but I mean, have you have you had you come across this before? Um, this no, when, when it was uh, it was pitched to me by Philip Bates, I hadn't come across it. I wasn't aware mm. that it existed. I mean, I'm very proactive with everything. So I just sort of like go out and find what I want to buy, what insurance I need, whatever, do a bit of research and then, you know, subscribe or pay for it or whatever. So it's not really – I assumed everyone was like that rather than waiting for insurers to come to them. So it's funny you it say that because I'm similar. Yeah, I'm similar. I, I, I do that. I, I, I search for things myself and I'll do it. I think uh, that the, there's a, a part of me that kind of realizes that there are many people out there that just want things to be simple um, and yeah. you can blame them. And these yeah. people, this is what these people are preying on. They're preying on the idea of saying, don't worry about it. Insurance is uh, complicated, but I'll make it easy for you. Um, and whenever anyone is saying that for you, you have to obviously be very careful that they are in a position that you can trust. Absolutely, yeah. 
So, um, yeah, full explanation on that and uh, how to avoid it, uh, you will find on makeusoft.com. Uh, nice work by Philip Bates there. It's a great article, yeah. Facebook friend requests, unwritten rules and hidden settings. Uh, now, I'm probably, God almighty, I'm probably not the best person to talk about this because I'm terrible on Facebook. Um, but, you, you know, you will find when you go into Facebook that you find uh, that you can make friends with people and there's a long list of friends that have been suggested to you. Yes. Now, what I will tell you about the friends that have been suggested to you, even if you say, I don't be friends with this person, um, that list will reappear a few days later. Yes, it's it's a it's a feature that uh, they are very very keen to uh, to keep uh, in your face. Um, uh, the, it depends who you are as to whether that particular feature will be useful for you. As, uh, these days, I am not as active on Facebook as I used to be, but as someone who was very very involved in a local and international comedy scene, uh, it was what I used a lot. And in that sense, the Facebook friend suggestions could be quite useful because. Uh, a lot of the time it would be suggesting comedians and or promoters who were uh, in, in either a similar place to be geographically or just doing similar things. Um, however, the suggestion algorithm is not necessarily uh, an invitation to make friends with people that you do not know, uh, which is kind of basic etiquette, but I think online that can be lost somewhat. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, some of the people I'm related to, but I don't particularly want to engage with them on Facebook. So you know. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we've um, Tina has released a uh, quite an in-depth look at you know the unwritten rules and hidden settings in Facebook and the whole friends thing and the friend requests menu and how to find people that you know, and obviously you should make sure that they are the people that you know because um, you know. There are people with the same name. I imagine there's multiple Ian Buckleys. I know there are multiple Christian Callies, which came as a surprise to me. Mm. Yeah, there's uh, there are multiple Ian Buckleys. In fact, if you uh, Google Ian Buckley, you will find there is a very large MMA fighter who is also from the same part of the world as me. Weirdly, enough. really, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I might I might be mixing two people up. I'm fairly sure he's yeah, a northeast of England based MMA fighter and teacher. Um, but the uh, but the 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 article that Tina's written is fantastic. It is uh, I. A, a almost exhaustive, exhaustive list of everything that you will need to know. Um, the only tip from it that I think is just uh, one that is worth sharing, just because it's been so useful to me, like I say, as someone who used Facebook for networking but didn't necessarily want to see everyone's status updates, is if you uh, click on the little three dots on anyone uh, in your feed, you can unfollow them. And that means that when you go to Facebook, you won't see anything they've written unless you go to their profile. Um, and that can be useful if there's someone you want to remain in contact with but don't necessarily want to know what their dog ate for breakfast that day. Um, but, yeah, this is a very full, very good article written by Tina Sieber, which will be in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the dog probably had its breakfast for breakfast. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, a couple of quick tips that's worth mentioning. I didn't know this. It's, um, there's a limit of 5,000 friends on Facebook. I did not know that. I don't know anyone who has 5,000 friends. but Yeah, me neither. Uh, it sounds excessive to me. Maybe a bit needy. I don't know. <laughs> um, and you can also be blocked from sending friend requests if you've sent too many or have many unanswered friend requests or if people might request to spam. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in that. So, uh, yeah, take the time to read through that. Lots of good tips, lots of uh, useful screenshots to help you find your way around the uh, friend request system in Facebook. Let's move on to our uh, final discussion today which is um non-programming tech jobs and careers 
Yes. Now, this is something that I think uh, there is a lot of misinformation um, about getting into tech. Uh, and one of the one of the biggest ones, which uh, I think is only a partial lie, and I'll explain why in a minute. But one of the biggest things is that if you want to be in tech, you need to learn to code. Yeah. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, the, the, you know, the reason why I say I think it's only a partial lie is because I'm going to completely almost straight away go slightly against that by saying I think the truth of the matter is you don't need to code to get into tech uh, when you are in tech you'll probably realize there's a certain level of coding that will be useful to you but that isn't something that you have to necessarily worry about first okay uh, yeah I mean so so uh, I'm, tr I'm trying to come up with a, a simple example there's a uh, there's a, a big list of examples here in this uh, in the article that you have written um, but uh, I think one perfect ex example is number two on the list that you've written, which is uh, uh, UX, that's user experience, or UI, uh, that's a user interface specialist. Now, um, it's, it's almost a meme, but it's a very accurate one, that most programmers aren't necessarily the best creative aesthetic artists. Um, that is, you know, these days there's a lot of people that wear many hats, but uh, realistically, a lot of people who uh, make things work in the background aren't necessarily uh, great at the aesthetic design of the front end. Um, if you are someone that is skilled uh, at making nice things and are, are very good at thinking at the way uh, that you interact with things and the way that you, even buttons on your phone or buttons on a website, uh, you can get into that without needing to code at all uh, because it's the programmer's job in order to link all of those things together. Yeah. But I mean, as I say, this is a this is an article that you actually wrote, so I, I imagine it's something that you've looked into in a bit more depth than me. Uh, which one I've updated, I've uh, rewritten quite a bit of it. And I, I mean, generally speaking, I mean, system admin in general IT jobs, you don't need to know programming for the general IT mm. jobs. For the system admin, then there's probably a bit of um, Visual Basic that you would need on yeah. .NET. But at the same time, in my experience of people who have been system admins, 100% not necessary. Technical mm. writing, you would probably need to understand what you're writing about. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's technical writing. That's largely to do with reporting on the development of software or producing uh, manuals, documentation for software and hardware. Uh, marketing yeah. and sales, again, don't believe there's any requirement for any coding there. Tech journalism, blogging, and media, again, don't believe there's any necessary for coding there. Software and games testing, you would need to know enough to be able to report on error messages and that kind of thing. Um, um, positions in uh, you know, steps that have been carried out, error messages that appear. Um, so again, I don't believe there's that much. I would um, project and program management, program management and project management are kind of interchangeable and I do feel that you can do both without it, but I think it's useful to have it. Yeah, um, I think yeah. broadly, I mean, uh, there's several things on this list. Uh, you know, for example, there are some fantastic uh, writers for, for our site, make use of that, do not uh, do any coding. And it doesn't affect them at all because they're not writing about things that require that knowledge. Yeah. Um, and there are many things on this list where you really do not need to know coding at all. And again, as I mentioned, is my example, the whole uh, UX uh, or UI design stuff. Um, it's more the kind of thing that if you are uh, someone that has those aesthetics, you will be sought after for that reason. Um, and you'll probably find as your career goes on that there are the surface level ways that the code interacts with your user interface that you would just learn naturally. 
But what you don't need to do is say, okay, I want to go into aesthetic design and then spend money on an expensive coding course that might not mm -hmm. actually help. Um, uh, you know, in in the long run, it may, uh, and experience is good to have. But yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do in tech these days. And as time goes on, it'll only get more. I mean, the way that things are built, if you want a, 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 an odd example, which goes back a little way, there was a time when to build a website, you would have to learn HTML and CSS and perhaps JavaScript. And then yeah. websites like, uh, what's it called, Squarespace? Is that the, the website building thing I'm thinking of? Which are just drag and drop came along because they made an interface oh, for you to- There's that and there's Wix and, and there's, there's many Wix, others, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, uh, it's this is this is, this is a nice rewrite, uh, Christian. Uh, it covers a lot of ground for for people that might want to get into tech. I think as well. It's um, I mean, a few months ago there was a lot of talk on social media and Reddit and and Twitter um, about certain websites uh, releasing their employees, and they were websites with low reputation. And a lot of the reaction to some of the trash that these people have been writing, who then made unemployed. Uh, was to learn to code yeah and you know that isn't necessary if you're a writer uh, you could move from doing job a in writing online blogging whatever into job b without having to learn a code learn to code is not a thing that needs to be done i do believe tech journalism is a growing area which seems somewhat odd to say at this mm. stage um but you know there are more and more tech-based sites like make use of popping up uh, at the moment so I, I do believe it is a, an, a growth area and I think uh, particularly sites that are in other languages such as Spanish or one of the Indian languages or mm. one of the Chinese languages uh, that they're the ones that are going to do that they're, they're like the growth areas for these um, absolutely yeah um, I have um, just I'm just gonna make a small um, personal plug I've um, launched a website called tech blogger .co.uk, which looks at how you can become a tech blogger. I've been doing this since 2008, seven, eight sort of time. Uh, so, you know, I've been at this for quite a while now. And in that time, I've moved from website to website, worked for some very small websites, worked for some big websites, I worked for print publications. Uh, I've, I've, I've appeared on online TV and on local radio talking about um, technology so there is plenty to learn uh in this zone if you want to get into writing online then tech blogging is probably the way in so uh if you want to learn more do click the show notes for that site and uh find out what's going on with that there's there's always jobs for tech sites if you go to the blogging sites and you're interested in writing you go to the blogging websites you will find tech jobs Absolutely, yeah, and uh, and and it's something that uh, I, I think even if you are just starting out and you're trying to get some experience, I think a, a very important thing to remember is that there are um, uh, a uh, experienced writers out there who will help you, much like you were just saying with TechBlogger.co.uk, and also there are a lot of sites which um, which are professional sites but are uh, willing to take on people because. If you are someone who is willing to learn and uh, has an interest in tech, at the end of the day, uh, they will help you learn to become a better writer. There are very few employers who employ creatives that aren't interested in helping them improve. And I think, uh, you know, there's no need to have any sort of imposter syndrome about it. If you are interested and you want to do it, um, uh, maybe spend a bit of time uh, looking at how others do it and then uh, and then try and get in touch with people. Because... Uh, 
ultimately, the more uh, you know, the more people that are trying to get into this market, the general uh, quality of things should uh, improve. And there's always going to be new tech that needs explaining. No matter how many articles I write at the end of the day, if someone asked me to explain how TikTok worked, the app, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> well, I think, I think today's want. news is a case in point. We found these new features on Google that weren't there before. Um, and there's a new recipe pie out. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, um, and then we've, we've, we've got the business, we've got the, the, the Facebook uh, cryptocurrency, we've got the rally on Bitcoin. You know, there's every, there's always something new in the, in the world of tech that needs to be explained or talked about. So, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So that is, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast uh, with me, Christian Corley, and Ian Buckley there. Thank you for having me on again. It's my pleasure. Ah, always good, always good. Uh, Ian and I will be back in a few weeks' time talking about Raspberry Pis in a bit more yes. depth once again, uh, and that'll be uh, that'll be a part of a kind of a two-part discussion on retro gaming. Uh, until yes. then, uh, I'll be back with another co-host next week. Uh, you can find the really useful podcast on makeuseof.com, on iTunes, Stitcher.com, and pretty much anywhere you collect your podcast and if you can't let us know until next week it's goodbye bye bye